my little underground. I'm Peter A. If you wouldn't mind, and if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the My Little Underground email newsletter. Uh, I give you a little summary of what's going on with the show, plus a song I can't stop listening to. And the link is in the episode description. And over the course of my burnout period, hiatus from the show, I did a few great interviews. Last week we talked to Time Warp. And this week, very excited to welcome the great writer, Mandy Brownholtz. And she's contributed to the New York Times, Audio Femme, and so much more. And she's on the show this week talking about her fantastic novel, Rotten, which explores a fictional, toxic DIY music space in D.C. and writer Viv Taylor's experiences in that space. And you can get the novel over at Mandy's website, mandybrownholtz.com. That link is also in the episode description. And Rotten is an unbelievably phenomenal novel. I bought I bought the book a few months back, and it's been collecting dust on my shelf. I've just been falling off with reading until the last few months. Over the summer, when I stopped using social media and wasn't doing My Little Underground, I started reading more. And I got through Mandy's book, Rotten, so fast. Within a week or so, it's so good. And uh, it just reminded me how much I love novels uh, and reading, especially ones with a very enticing story like Rotten. So I'm going to shut up now, and you can hear me talk to Miss Mandy Brownholtz right here on My Little Underground. Mandy, thank you so much for hopping on My Little Underground to talk about your fantastic novel, Rotten. But before we get to your book, I re- I've been wanting to tell you this for a long time. Like I read your article on Audiofem on A Place of Very Strangers, and uh, you guys talked about the video they shot in Ridgewood, and they were going down Seneca, and like it went right by my apartment. I'm like, oh shit, that's so Oh, cool. did you see them? Yeah, yeah. No, not literally, but like when I was watching the video, you, you oh, embedded yeah. the video on your article, and I was watching, like, wait a minute, I live right there. That's, that's cool. That's awesome. Yeah, I was feeling the same way when I watched the video. They were going to all these places I recognized, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Did you go to their release show at uh, Music Hall of Williamsburg, or were you already in Europe? I don't think I've made it to that. No, I I haven't been going to that many shows lately, to be honest. I feel like in like the post-COVID universe, I'm like way more selective about which events I go to. Do you feel like that? You know what I mean? Absolutely. I used to to just go to whatever, just to be like out of the house and going to see people. But now it's like, if I'm going to stand in a room of strangers, I kind of want to be really stoked about it. (laughs) Yes, I'm 100% just like you. I know you had a bout with COVID and it's, yeah, I, I'm a thousand percent selective, but like this is a place for your stranger show. This is the show that everyone should have been at. I looked around to see if I knew anybody here. I'm like, oh my God, why isn't, oh my God. Even the person, a friend of mine who told me about them wasn't there. That made me mad. I'm like, Ugh! but it was one of the best <laughs> shows I've been to so far this year. Oh my God. Like I'm going to make you like feel bad for missing that show. But uh, it was, yeah, it was so good. It was, you're a fan of them? Of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, yeah. I like them. I like, uh, I don't know. They're just a great New York band, you yeah. know? Yeah. So how long was Rotten in the works? When did you start writing this? Um, I started writing it in like 2017. Wow. Uh, and it was while I still had a full-time job. Um, and then I quit my full-time job and started just working like a variety of part-time jobs and like side 
hustles and stuff and picked it back up again. And that would have been in 2018. So it was really like more of a serious endeavor starting in 2018. And then I finished it in early 2020. And just like Viv, Viv has a lot of side hustles and and everything and um and writing the her story was a centerpiece of the whole whole thing. But yeah, that, that's cool. How many drafts did you go through with this? I think there were four drafts, like three mm -hmm. or four. Um and the first one was obviously like much different than the last one. But this was also the first time I ever successfully finished a novel manuscript. And um so it was kind of like an exercise in learning while doing, you know. Yeah. Did you did you start this book on the foundation of a love of music or just to address problematic patriarchal behavior sprinkled in with music? It wasn't even music specifically. That just was like obviously an environment that I know very well and seemed like an obvious setting. Like I had never written a novel that was set in like a DIY music community and especially um being a person from Washington, DC, I think that um, it's kind of unfortunate that the city's like art artistic uh, culture takes such a back seat. Also, sorry if you can like hear my washing machine. I just realized that I have like the washing machine going. Yeah, uh, okay. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, everything you read about DC, like that's like fiction or like movies, TV shows, whatever is so based on like political intrigue that I kind of feel like DC deserved a story that wasn't about that. Um, and I started writing it because I was just sort of like grappling with what choice and consent means in a country like the United States. Cause this was like in the post directly in like the post Trump election months that I started working on this. And I was kind of just like, what does that even, I mean, and I guess it's like all the more poignant now in light of everything that's been going on recently with SCOTUS, but like what, what does choice and consent even mean in America? Because it's like this huge, like macrocosmic question about how our society treats women and how our country treats women. And like, what does it mean to be a woman in a country that would elect somebody that's been credibly accused of sexual assault by like, what, like 30 people? I, I don't even know how many people, but you know what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah. So that was sort of what I was grappling with when I began writing it. And then the music scene just seemed natural as like a thing that I knew well and thought was deserving of a novel, you know? I saw, like, as I've been to DC a few times and a lot of the 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 imagery that you're painting in the book, all the places that Viv is going with with her friends and the people that you know she's met at Fort Rotten, I'm seeing the monuments. I'm seeing it all from your from your writing, and um, that's another thing I loved about the book. And another thing I love about novels when I read it, you know, because it's not it's not a movie, so it's a book. So I'm creating how the characters look, and I'm creating how the the setting looks like. And you really painted DC very very well, even though I've only been there a few times, but you painted the picture. Uh, very well. So another thing I noticed about uh, this book is that it's written in, in the in third person narration, like the main characters aren't telling us a story like High Fidelity, like High Fidelity, Rob is telling us everything. Um, mm -hmm. Did you, is that on purpose? Did you want to do it from a third person perspective? Or did you have any reservations? Did you want to, in any of the drafts, was Viv telling her story? 
No, actually it was in third person from the beginning. And I don't know if that was like how intentional of a choice that is. Um, I've been, I guess I've been like experimenting more with writing in the first person since then, but I've always just been drawn to like a third person narration style, I guess, just cause like it gives you, it's like more of like a bird's eye view. And also, I guess, just in the sense that you always have to take everything a first person narrator tells you with a grain of salt, you know, first person narrators are unreliable. Huh, yeah. I never thought about that. And wow, I never thought of it like that way. That's cool. Yeah, because you have to think about it. If you're telling a story, um, it's told through your perspective and your blind spots and, you know, um, your interpretation of events. So I don't know, this is something to think about when you're in your further reading is that a first person narrator, you always have to kind of take what they're saying with a grain of salt because they might not be telling the whole truth intentionally or otherwise, because, you know. Doesn't that just oppose uh, Viv's story? Because she's writing it, for, well, it's literally her perspective, everything that she's gone through, you know what I mean? And then the book is telling it from a third person the perspective. I think that's kind of interesting, but I never thought of that kind of bias. You know, that's really cool. Our you know, first narrator always has a bias. Yes, yes. And that, when, I, when I took creative uh, writing classes in college, every story that I've ever written was from a first person perspective. So there's always a, there's an inherent bias in there. I never really realized that's, yeah, that's cool. So how, how much, re when I'm reading this, it seems like you did a lot of research on a lot of different things, even though it's a novel. Like there's a lot of uh, you talked about fixing it, the steps of fixing a toilet when Lulu was you know fixing uh, the toilet in, in their apartment. Um, uh, you talked about pineal gland and frequency bias and you even quoted a uh, Dr. Uh, Javago. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. So how much how much did you already know about and how much did you kind of research? I mean, a lot of the literary references, I guess, were just things that I was reading at the time that crept into the work like I read Dr. Zhivago while I was writing the novel um and I was reading a lot I mean I, I always read a lot but uh especially like that first year that I was no longer working full-time I kind of like challenged myself to read a book a week um especially because I was like working just like customer service jobs that weren't very like intellectually fulfilling um but uh the other things, I guess, like, as far as, like, Lulu fixing the toilet, I went about that in the sense of, like, how would you fix a toilet if you were fixing a toilet in your house? You would Google it. Yeah. Like a Wiki, Wiki How article on how to do it. And then, um, yeah, I guess, like, the frequency bias thing was just, like, I, I did look that up because I was, like, I know that there must be, like, a term for that. Um because that's such a real thing, you know, when you, we, it, it happens all the time. So yeah, it was just like a combination of like things that were creeping their way into my um, thought process. Because especially as a person, like I, I, I haven't done an MFA um, and this, and besides like a couple workshops I've taken here and there, I'm like entirely self-taught. Um, so usually when I like attempt to write something or I'm working on something, I like, I, I'll try to read stuff that I know was written in like a similar style to sort of like study how um, the author did it, you know, like it, particularly in this novel, like, cause this novel deals so much with like memories 
um, and the unreliability of memory that I kind of wanted to read another book that um, did, like wrote in that way. And I uh, rewrote, reread um, Jeffrey Eugenides, The Virgin Suicides, because that book is largely told in memories, obviously from a different perspective. Like that book is written uh, like to you, you know, like it's like a narrator directly addressing like a person. So that's like obviously in a different style, but I was interested in how he did that. When you, when you, you spoke about memories and that's another thing that I loved about this book. You jumped back and forth between time so well i never got lost i'm okay, like okay that's great i'm glad to hear that because that was like yeah. the thing that when i was showing this uh draft to people especially like in writing workshops or just like showing the book to friends for the first time um that was always like the thing i'm like tell me if you like get confused because i know it like the transitions can be kind of abrupt sometimes but i'm glad to hear that it works no it was not like i liked the when viv was in the car with her dad and then they were talking about the Kobe Bryant situation and then but we're right back to Viv in the apartment with Lulu or Viv uh you know at the bar trying to talk to Gemma or something like that like you go back and forth pretty well I thought it was great I love I love seeing that in tv shows and in film and you know it's it's interesting to see that played out um in a book did you have any reservations on actually incorporating Viv's story in the book instead of like leaving it up to the imagination of, of the person, did you want to purposely put Viv's story in the book? You mean like the scene in which like everything went down? No, no. Um, When uh, Viv actually writes her story. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, I wanted to do that because that was yeah. kind of like the culmination of, of the whole thing. Yes. Um. So yes, that was, that was intentional and I didn't have any reservations about it. I'm glad you did that though, because I actually, I wanted to read it. Like, seeing the re reading the whole thing i'm like i want to see how this plays out i would have been cool if you didn't put it in there but i actually wanted to like after i was done with the book if you didn't put it in there i'm like i want to see Viv's story i want to know you know what i mean yeah. like so i'm glad you literally did that and it was it was yeah. a great build-up because Viv, throughout the whole thing viv is talking about this ooze this ooze that's kind of like all over her and and she runs into these people you don't know what happened yet you you can probably assume what happened but you don't know what happened and to see it all just explode, it was, oh man, loved it. It was so great. Loved how you did that. Um, so some of the, the characters that I loved, uh, uh, Viv, Lulu, and, and, and Gemma, but especially Viv uh, as the protagonist. Do you feel, uh, generally speaking, within novels or TV or, or film that the protagonist needs to be likable, even with their inherent flaws? No, I love an unlikable protagonist. Um, I was just watching, you know, I was just watching that movie that just came out on Hulu. Uh, Not Okay. There's about the girl that fake. Did you watch this movie? It's like no. a, it's like this girl who wants to be an influencer. So she like fakes a trip to Paris. But um, there's a terrorist attack while she's supposedly like in Paris. So she has to like maintain this facade that she was involved like she was like a victim in the terrorist attack like and is like traumatized from it and has to like maintain this lie and she gets like influencer fame as a result of it and it was kind of funny because uh the this the movie opened with like a content warning and uh i didn't get the joke at first but i googled it afterwards and apparently was a joke it opened with like a this movie contains like x y 
the content triggers and then like an unlikable female protagonist. And I was like, is this real? And apparently it was a joke and I just like didn't get the joke, but um, no, I love an unlikable protagonist. And it was important to me that um, Viv was unlikable because in a lot of ways, I, I think that that's more relatable. And also um, it puts you in the difficult position of rooting for somebody who's not necessarily very likable because just because someone is unlikable doesn't mean um, they can't be mistreated or wronged, you know what I mean? So yeah, it was, it was intentional to make her kind of unlikable. I didn't want her to be, I wanted her to be like kind of problematic. I actually think Viv is quite likable to be honest. Um, oh, well, I mean, yeah, yeah, I think, but I think that she's complicated. Yeah. I think she, I think that she's like totally, the, the, the character in this movie is far more unlikable than Viv, I would say, but uh, she definitely has her, her flaws. Viv, like when I was re like the first, like maybe like, you know, few chapters or so, I didn't like Viv because um, I'm hearing what Lulu is telling her and she keeps doing every, you know what I mean? She's dating these horrible people and the dude that was mm -hmm. on heroin or whatever. And it's like, dude, come on. But like, as I'm reading it and at the, like at the end, like, throughout the book, towards especially towards like the second half, Viv is addressing her flaws. She wants to change. She wants yeah. to do better for herself, especially when she starts hanging out with Gemma. Like she really wants to, to be better. And that I respect. If someone who is acknowledging their mistakes and trying to improve themselves, that's it. Yeah. That's life though. And so Viv was not unlikable, I don't think. Um, Lulu Good, that was the journey I wanted her to be on. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. I'm glad that you, you got it. Yeah, the, it's uh, the path of, of growth. And I'm all about growth. I'm all about people trying to acknowledge what they did wrong and try to like correct it. Because even, you know, with um, in Fort Rodden, what was her, her homie that she loved um, but didn't like her back? Uh, I forgot uh I forgot the guy's name. Nolan. Yes. So yeah. um I think Viv just wanted her to wanted him to acknowledge that this is fucked up. Something fucked up happened to me, and this guy you're hanging out with is fucked up. And he wouldn't do that. And see, that's what I came across with this book. I'm like, oh, I get it now. And I see Viv is really trying to change. And um I'm just nerding out about this book, but anyway, but like Viv is like well, I love when she She's taking pictures like naked with the the people trying to paint her or whatever. And the fact that she took that picture of her and she like hung it in her room. And it's like, she's trying to address her like insecurities and trying to do better. Man, Viv is a very interesting character. Towards the end, I'm like, oh, I love this girl, you know, especially Gemma too. I would love to hang out with her. Um, so what is your favorite character? Oh, I don't know. I like Gemma a lot too, or Gemma. I guess mm -hmm. you could pronounce it either way. Gemma is probably how, yeah. I, probably her, honestly, because she's like kind of fierce and a uh, brash, um, and I like that about her. And I like that I, I I intentionally made her that way to sort of like illustrate the different ways different people handle the things that happen to them. Because obviously, uh, Viv and Gemma were um, victimized in similar ways, but their ways of coping with it were entirely different for better or for worse um so yeah no I, I think i think she's probably my favorite character if i had to pick one i mean they're all my creation so i uh have a soft spot for most of them but uh yeah Je yeah jen was phenomenal and she really helped viv get over that 
that ledge of just acknowledging I fucked up and something fucked up happened to me and let's try to move on. And mm-hmm. it, and after her meeting Gemma, you know, she starts trying to like date the right people, especially like Bruno, who's like, oh, this guy seems like a really nice guy who cares for her and everything. And it just to see Viv's growth in it is just great. Like character growth is just phenomenal. I love seeing that in, in you know, novels and whatever, media, whatever. Um, I noticed that, you know, you mentioned um, the certain like real life artists, but um, I noticed that you didn't mention like uh, specific songs, just the artists and maybe some lyrics. Is there any kind of like, I don't know, like copyright issue putting like, quoting real life songs or mentioning songs in, in novels? Is that a thing? I, I mean, I feel like if I had published this the traditional way, I probably would have had to get permission to put the lyrics in the books that at all mm-hmm. but I don't know it's like I kind of feel like it's like I, I was trying to write it the way you would like talk about it you know like oh you know that song by like so and so that goes whatever I think that was like sort of what I was thinking about when I wrote things that way because that's like how people talk yeah how I talk <laughs> yeah see I didn't th- I didn't think about that I did not think yeah. about that you're really trying to write people what people say you're not trying to write a literary work you're writing conversation oh yeah see light bulb duh i got it <laughs> so what are some of uh, like pros and cons if you of um in in the book writing process what are some things you love some things you hated about it i mean uh writing is difficult in the sense that it's very much a solitary journey it's kind of a slog um you know Friends of uh, friends of mine who who produce other types of art, they can share work sooner, and I feel like that probably provides a motivation to keep going. You know, like you write a song or you finish a painting, and you can like snap a photo and share it on Instagram or whatever, um, and you can get feedback, being like, "Oh, this is great! Like, keep going! Like, keep doing stuff." Uh, writing is kind of like you can't really show it to anybody until it's finished. Um, and even then you don't know if it's any good and it's frightening the prospect of putting several years into something um, and having it be no good, you know? Um, so I guess that was just kind of like the fear, uh, especially doing it the way that I did it. I had no idea how it was going to go because I, I self-published this book, which wasn't my first choice. Like, obviously I would love to publish another book through a more traditional means. This was more just like a product of COVID and um, getting money from the government to do stuff like this and uh, sort of realizing that under the circumstances, I probably wasn't going to be able to publish the book as soon as I wanted to. So I just did it. Um, But I guess the only thing that's like worse than someone hating something that you've produced is being apathetic about it. Um, So that was probably like a fear of mine. putting it out just that nobody would care and obviously I've been really touched and um so glad about how much people seem to have loved it and how much it's spoken to people because that's all I could really ask for I think that's probably been the best part is getting that so many messages from people I guess similar it kind of like you know it it speaks to the the what happens in the book itself like so many people have reached out to me and been like thank you for writing this like I experienced something really similar to this and I I'm really glad that I got to read a book about it um so that's been probably the the best part of the whole thing 
Viv went through the same thing when she wrote her yeah, story. That's, she what, gets, that's what I mean. Yeah, she gets all these messages. And it's yeah. like, I've gotten lots of messages from people being like, I went through something like this and I'm really glad someone wrote a book about it. And um, so that's meant a lot to me. I really appreciated that. When you talk about uh, publish, like, you publish it yourself, like as far as getting like physical books, like how did you go about doing that? It was a whole thing. I never, yeah. I mean, it would have been really hard to do it had I been working. Obviously this was like, it's so weird because we're like, we're still in the pandemic. I don't know like what phase of it we're in. This was like early deep pandemic. Yeah. Um, Cause like I said, I finished the, the final draft in early 2020 and kind of the goal that I had had for myself before everything started was that I wanted to get a literary agent in 2020 um, and hopefully have them sell the book, you know? Um, and I started sending out query letters to agents in like the first week of March. And then I don't even know what to tell you. And I was like, okay, so there's no way this is going to happen this year. Cause it's very difficult to get an agent, particularly if you don't have the connections one acquires from go going to an MFA program or something. Um, so I kind of just put it on the back shelf or put it in a drawer or whatever. Um, and then later that year, probably around the fall, a friend of mine was like, so whatever happened to that manuscript you were writing? And I was like, oh, well, I finished it. But like, it just doesn't seem like it's going to happen right now because of, you know, everything that, you know, gestures around everything. Um, and she was like, well, why don't you just self-publish it? Like, cause I have a background in marketing. I've been doing like concert promotion marketing for most of my career. Um, you know how to do marketing. And I was like, huh, you know, and self-publishing in the literary world definitely is stigmatized in a way that it isn't in other art forms. Um, it sort of is like indicative of ability, like, oh, you could, you, you weren't good enough to do this. You know what I mean? But I thought about it and like having been a part of DIY music communities for most of my adolescence and adult life, I was like, wow, I have friends that put their own music out all the time. So I should just do this. Like, why am I being so precious about it? Um, it's challenging in different ways because like, here's like a difference is like, it's more expensive to press vinyl than it is to print a book. But the design process for creating a book is far more intense than designing like a vinyl album, because obviously you can't just like copy and paste a Google Doc into like Adobe Illustrator and call it a day. Like I hired a designer and I was, his name is Johnny Campolo. He's in the band uh, PE and he's also a visual artist. Um, he's the one who did all the design for the book. And we were working together on it for like a solid like six months at least. Um, he would be like sending me chapters that he laid out and I would be copy like line editing them myself for errors and stuff and making sure all the formatting was correct. Um, so yeah, I mean, that was like the, the process was, it was very intense, but it was rewarding and it was like a kind of a bright spot in a dark time where I would have just otherwise been sitting at home on my ass. It was nice to be doing something and it was nice to be like using my stimulus money to pay somebody else who was also in a similar situation as me where they didn't have very much work. Um, 
so yeah, I mean, I miss the days of of, of stimulus money. I'm sure we all do. <laughs> um, but Rotten is at its third edition. Would you say this novel is a success? I mean, it was it's like it's all relative, you know. I mean, I wonder how it would have been different if I had published it at like a big five. That's what they call like the publishing, the big giant ones like Penguin and whatever um because that would have like a whole like marketing machine behind it but then at the same time like I probably wouldn't have had as much creative control over like what the book looked like and what it felt like and you know the design and I mean it was a success in the sense that I like I mean I've sold over 200 copies of it and I never intended to do more than one run of it because I, I was just kind of like I want to do this I want to put this out so my friends can read it and then like I didn't expect it to sell out in two days which the first run sold out in two days and um so yeah I mean it was a success as far as it like exceeded my expectations um I'm proud of how, how it went and I'm I'm so glad that people like it I love it. I tried to get it. Um, I first heard about it. Our friend Nora told me about uh, the first uh, time around. She has the green version. I was like, all right. So I tried to like look it up afterwards. Yeah, I was gone. And then I, then you put out the, the blue version, the second one. Instantly, I had to get it because I, I really wanted to read it. Turns out you have a third one with, with the red version. I'm like, all right. All right, Mandy. Yeah, yeah cool. I think That's I'm going to, once I run out of these, I'm probably going to investigate. They have like services now for self-published authors where you can like print books on demand. Um, so I'm probably going to, I think I'm probably going to revert to the green, the OG green cover and sign up for like one of those services. Yeah. Um, is sort of what my plan is because I would like to have it just be available as, as on demand or whatever after a certain point. But yes, it's still in stock right now. Yeah. Green is uh, more of like a, it adds to the ooze that yeah, uh, green, Viv was, green was yeah, like the slimy. Vision from the beginning. And then just, just like, I don't know, Johnny Kempola's work, if you ever, if you look at it, it's sort of like his, his thing is to create multiple colors of the same design. So like, as soon as the first edition sold out, he, he and I were on the phone being like, oh my God, what color should we do next you know yeah. um if i had like unlimited resources i would continue uh just making different colors like all like the highlighter colors um but like at this point like it was the the second edition i was able to pay for just with pre-sales which was like really cool um and then the third one i just i fronted the money for that one again just because i wanted to do like something special for the the year anniversary um so yeah I mean that's the other that's the other con I guess of self-publishing is that like you're the one paying for everything <laughs> oh it's you know but it's you you know what I mean yeah. like you're you're in control exactly. so at that at the end of the day it's it's uh rewarding well yeah. Mandy uh thank you so much for uh coming in here and talking about your awesome book uh, where can people buy it you can buy it on my website mandybronholds.com um, which you can find on all of my social media as well, just show the at Mandy Brownholtz. Um, I would love to sell more books to people. It's available at some random bookstores around Brooklyn and Queens too. I don't know where it's in stock right now because I've been like out of the country and haven't been stocking it up places, but um you might you might stumble upon it on a bookstore, but I would advise you to go through my website.
Yeah, that's what that's what I did. I bought and you get a nice cool sticker too that's on my laptop right now. So oh my god, do well, thank you. When I, yeah. when I get people's laptop real estate, that really uh means a lot to me. So thank yeah. you. <laughs> it's right at the bottom so people can know what I'm reading or what bit is people probably think it's a band too. Like, oh yeah, are they good? Is Rotten any good? I'm like, yeah, they're not bad. Check them out. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Thank you so much, Manny. I appreciate you. Thank you. Take yeah. care. I really appreciate it. Let me know when uh this comes out and I'll Make sure to tell people to listen to it.